This podcast was brought to you by Optus Stadium. Now taking orders for your next breakfast or lunch meeting. Good afternoon and welcome to At Close of Business, a daily podcast hosted by Business News. Managing safety in the workplace has never been more challenging and the risks never higher as psychosocial hazards gain more attention. Today, Senior Editor Mark Byer discusses a focus firming on workplace health and safety in WA. But first, here's the news you need to know today. Neville Owen's ties to Kerry Stokes have created more complications for the Crown Casino inquiry after Business News unearthed details of a joint venture with Tim Roberts. The joint venture between one of Mr Stokes's private companies and one of Mr Roberts's private companies has signed a development lease with the Shire of Derby West Kimberley. It is evaluating the development of a new port facility at Derby. The joint venture is problematic for Mr Owen because of his connection to the two billionaires. He is a director of three companies in Mr Stokes's business network while also presiding over the Perth Casino Royal Commission where Mr Roberts has appeared as a witness. Mr Owen told Business News he had no recollection of any association between the Seven West Media Chairman and Mr Roberts other than on a social basis at the time in which he made his declaration to the Commission. He did admit however that it was something that he would have been aware of at the time. He also claimed that he had never had any dealing with Mr Roberts. Mr Owen voluntarily disclosed that he had a close personal association with Mr Stokes and subsequently admitted, after media queries, that he was a director of a company in Mr Stokes's network. He made those declarations ahead of the appearance of two witnesses with links to Mr Stokes. Mr Owen has insisted that these connections did not give rise to any conflicts of interest but were disclosed in the interests of transparency. Meanwhile, a former member of the state's Gaming and Wagering Commission has conceded the regulator should have done more to interrogate policy changes regarding the oversight of junket operators, which coincided with the 2017 China arrests. And WA-based property developer Curaland has lodged plans to build a $108 million apartment and retail complex in the heart of Claremont, a project it hopes to expedite through the state's new Development Assessment Unit. The application was lodged late last week by Curaland, which plans to build a 17-storey apartment building, recreational facilities, offices, retail and food outlets across a 1,900-square-metre site on Quinton Avenue. The proponent is understood to have been in discussions with the community and the local government about the development for 24 months, one year after the site sold for $12.35 million. The site is currently home to a two-storey commercial complex which was built in the early 1980s. Curaland hopes to secure development approval in the second quarter of this year in order to begin construction early next year and formally open the development by 2025. According to the company, the development is expected to generate an additional $3.5 million in retail expenditure in the area annually and create 180 jobs during construction and 100 ongoing jobs when complete. 
And Andrew Forrest will receive a $2.4 billion dividend from Fortescue Metals Group after the company's profit more than doubled thanks to high iron ore prices. Fortescue will pay a $2.11 per share dividend after a $1.47 payout in March following the first half. Mr Forrest is Fortescue's biggest shareholder, owning about 1.1 billion shares in the country's third largest iron ore miner. The company's shares rose 6.6% to trade at $21.32 at the close after reporting a $10.3 billion US dollar net profit after tax. That was on revenue of $22.3 billion US dollars, a 74% increase on the 2020 financial year. Iron ore production exceeded annual guidance and prices surged in the second half of the year. Iron ore prices surged to record levels in May on the back of rising demand for the steelmaking ingredient in China following a government stimulus to offset the impact of the pandemic. We'll be right back. We understand that business relies on being informed. That's why Business News is your most reliable source of news, industry insights and business connections. To stay fully informed, we encourage you to subscribe to our emails, flick through our magazine and visit businessnews.com.au for daily news updates. It's the best way to ensure you have the information you need to be future ready. Business News. More news, more insights, more connections. Mark, the concept of workplace health and safety has become a lot broader in recent years and there's been a lot of attention to that in recent months. Now, you've written about this for our latest issue. Uh, Can you tell me uh, nationally how the conversation has changed in recent months? Well, I guess for broader context, traditionally when we think about workplace safety, it was about um, accidents. And typically we think about construction sites and so on. Uh, Over time, there was a awareness that grew around um, industrial diseases that come from uh, what can happen in workplaces, Um, asbestosis being a classic example. And then in more recent years, there's been a greater focus on issues like mental health and more recently around sexual harassment. And this, of course, has become a very prominent issue politically at a national level, inspired in particular by the case of Brittany Higgins and her alleged rape. In response to this, there's been a whole range of things happening at a national and state level. And so I've written this article to try and bring together um, the the wide range of changes that are happening so people can grasp the significance of it. At a national level, there's the new Sex Discrimination and Fair Work uh, Bill that's been introduced and currently under review. Uh, in Western Australia, we've got our new Work Health and Safety Act. Uh, there's the um, inquiry into sexual harassment against women in FIFO mining. Um, and then there's a whole range of issues around COVID and uh, treatment of staff in that context. So there's an awful lot going on. Mm, and you alluded to there before uh, sexual harassment being an issue. There's been reports of this being a particular issue in the mining industry. Can you tell me more about that issue? We've had quite a few reports, as you say, about sexual harassment in mining. Uh, and it's certainly been you know, front page news in the mass media. It's interesting to try to get some context around this. Uh, you know, one of the challenges is getting reliable data. The best source is a survey that's done by the Australian Human Rights Commission. Most recent one was back in 2018. That found that 
sexual harassment was uh, the incidence was extraordinarily high. Um, about one third of respondents to that survey said they'd experienced sexual harassment. And it's both genders. It was 39% of women and 26% of men said they'd experienced workplace sexual harassment in the previous five years. Now, it's a fairly broad definition. And for both women and men, the most common type of workplace sexual harassment was, quote, offensive, sexually suggestive comments or jokes. And this goes to the issue that what many people might have thought of as acceptable behaviour once upon a time is no longer considered acceptable by many people in the workplace. Looking at some of the numbers, uh, the mining industry, 40% of people um, in that industry said they experienced sexual harassment. If you break it down by gender, the figure for women is more alarming. 74% of women in the mining industry said they'd experienced sexual harassment. Now, when you break it down by industry, the survey sample is not particularly big, so we need to be a little bit cautious about this. Um, but, you know, give or take 10% either way, it's still an extraordinarily high number. Mm. And it's always important to highlight these issues, but uh, what can companies do to combat this issue? Because it sounds particularly uh, deeply inbuilt into some industries. Yeah, look, my article builds in a whole range of advice for company directors and company officers. Fundamentally, it's about ensuring that any organisation has a system in place for um, identifying and monitoring um, health and safety risks and ensuring that there's sort of regular reporting back up to the board level because non-executive directors are liable for things that happen in this area. Um, they can't just leave it to an operational person down the management chain. Um, at a board level, there needs to be systems in place. And when you look at the Work Health and Safety Act in Western Australia, which is due to take effect from the start of next year, uh, there's already been an increase in penalties in Western Australia, and this new act will lead to a very substantial increase. Uh, maximum penalties, uh, fines of up to $10 million, for indivi and individuals can be jailed for up to 20 years. Now, that's, of course, in the extreme case of a workplace death. But it's an indication there is very significant risk that is carried by company officers, and they need to be focused on it. Mm. Well, uh, personally, looking at this uh, table on the page here showing prevalence of sexual harassment, I look forward to the day that those numbers are closer to zero. Mark, thank you so much for your time today. This podcast was brought to you by Optus Stadium, now taking orders for your next breakfast or lunch meeting. If you like what you've heard, head to our Spotify page to like and subscribe. New episodes of At Close of Business are available every day in time for our afternoon wrap. I'm Jordan Murray. See you tomorrow.